Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Extrema Pure Ceramic Cookware, which is the original non-toxic cookware on the market. It's a lifestyle investment for your kitchen, for your body, and for the earth because people have been cooking with clay pots for over 10,000 years. Extrema spent years perfecting the proprietary clay blend that balances the beauty of pottery, the durability of porcelain, and the temperature benefits of stoneware. Because healthy meals don't just start with fresh, nutrient-dense produce, though that's important too. They also require safe pots, pans, skillets, and baking sheets that aren't leaching things into our food. I have many of their cookware pieces in my kitchen for this reason. All of their cookware is pure ceramic and handcrafted by this family-run company. I love that they are durable and can go from stove to oven to dishwasher, and I can even use tough cleaners and scrubbers to clean them. They have a new signature skillet line that has shallow side walls and a smooth 100% pure ceramic cooking surface for ultimate strength and durability. They let you sear, saute, fry, and sizzle from your stovetop or even your barbecue grill, and these timeless additions to your kitchen will become your go-to for everyday cooking. There's no toxins, no metals, no maintenance, and worry-free cooking every day. Use the code WELLNESS to save 15% off your entire purchase by going to extrema.com. That's X-T-E-R-E-M-A.com to make sure to use the code WELLNESS to save 15%. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, the company that first introduced me to functional and medicinal mushrooms and whose products I have been using for almost a decade. Mushrooms are absolutely fascinating. Being genetically closer to humans than they are to plants, the largest organism in the world is a mushroom, and mushroom networks allow trees and plants to talk to each other using something called mycorrhizal networks. Many types of mushrooms are also well studied for their benefits to humans and widely used in many ancient medicinal traditions and cultures. Researchers found that mushrooms have high amounts of ergothionine and glutathione, which are both important antioxidants that help fight age-related decline. I personally love eating culinary mushrooms any chance I get, but sometimes it can be hard to work those into my everyday diet every single day. And specific mushrooms have additional more targeted benefits, and that's why I love Four Sigmatic. They have a wide variety of beverages that incorporate these amazing superfood mushrooms and that taste amazing. On a typical day, I'll drink a cup of their mushroom-infused coffee or matcha with ingredients like lion's mane for focus or cordyceps to support overall health. I also love winding down with a cup of their reishi elixir, which helps me fall asleep and get more restored to deep sleep. I love their packets on the go because they're easy to throw in my purse or in my bag when I travel, and I'll often just order a cup of hot water on the go and make some lion's mane coffee on the plane. I also love mixing a packet of their coffee or matcha into a protein drink on the go for a protein-packed iced latte option. And speaking of protein, they have the only plant-based protein I like with seven functional mushrooms plus adaptogens, and the flavor is great, especially I love their peanut butter flavor. You can check out these and all of their products at foursigmatic.com slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to get a discount. So again, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this episode is about the immune system and especially immune misfires, how to make your immune system smarter, not just stronger, and why you would want to. I'm here with Stephen Wright, who is a medical engineer. He's a Kalish Foundational Medicine Institute graduate and a gut health specialist. He spent close to $400,000 overcoming his own health challenges using everything from Western medicine to shamans and everything in between. 
He's also the founder of HealthyGut.com, and he lives in Boulder. He's also a personal friend. And in this episode, we go deep on the immune system and on all aspects of immune health, specifically what an immune misfire is and the different ways that the immune system can misfire. We talk about the two parts of the immune system, the innate and the adaptive side, and why understanding the, the distinction is important, especially if you're dealing with immune system issues the five symptoms of immune misfire, what cytokine storms are and what they can tell us, why skin issues are often immune-related, and then we talk about what paraprobiotics are and how they are relevant to immune health. We talk about how they can help with things related to the gut, to histamine, and what the studies are currently showing about these, what also separates them from regular probiotics because they are an immature form of probiotics, essentially, that transmit information but don't have a bacterial effect in the same way that probiotics do. And then we talk about why sleep and melatonin are important to the immune conversation. So a lot of practical tips in this one. If paraprobiotics are a new topic for you, you'll learn a lot about them in this episode. So without further delay, let's join Steve. Steve, welcome back. Thanks, Katie. It's always so fun to chat with you and we get to go in a direction. I haven't really gone that much on this podcast before, and I know I always learn a lot from you, so I'm super excited to jump in. But from a broad perspective to start off, we are going to delve into the world of immune misfires and how to make your immune system smarter, because often I think, uh, and you explain this well, you know, we think of making our immune system stronger, but you differentiate that actually like smarter is the way to go. But I think to establish some foundation for this conversation, maybe you could start off by explaining what you mean by immune misfires for anybody who that's a new term for. Yeah, sure. So um, your immune system, if you don't know, it's kind of split between two main sides, your innate immune system, and your adaptive immune system. And so when you hear people talking about inflammation or fevers or uh, natural killer cells, white blood cells, this is all on your innate side of the immune system. And it's kind of nonspecific. So when you swell, like when you turn your ankle and it swells up, your body just knows that there's something bad happening and it just kind of rushes in. But if something persists over time, your innate immune system using dendritic cells and some other ways of communication starts to tell your adaptive cells, which are your B and T cells. And this is where your antibodies come from. Like, hey, we got an ongoing problem feeding you some information. And over the coming weeks, you may need to, you know, build some antibodies or something like that if, in the case of uh, maybe like an infection or something like that. And so you have these two sides of the immune system and we want them to fire in proportion to what's happening. So if, if they need to use a feather, we want them to use a feather. If they need to use a hammer, we want them to use a hammer. And we don't want to be using hammers for feathers and vice versa, because that's when you get into states of persistent, I think, out of tolerance with the environment. And these look like, you know, allergies to things that other humans don't have allergies to. So maybe like a lot of uh, ragweed or hay fever, or you have some sort of chronic inflammation that just drags on and maybe ends up in autoimmunity, uh, maybe ongoing food sensitivities after you've done you know, all the basic steps around diet and things like this. So these are all various symptoms of a misfire. And we could talk about sort of the five different ones, but that's sort of the overview is how like there can be some breakdowns there. Yeah, that's a helpful framework to understand. And I think when you use the word antibodies, often people will think of autoimmune disease because that's often a thing that's measured for autoimmunity. Um, and I know there's part of the conversation that goes there as well, but maybe walk us through what those five symptoms are so we have a passing understanding before we get deeper. Yeah, sure. So on the innate side, your body could mount too high of a response. So this is often seen in something like hay fever or pet 
pet allergies, things like that, right? It could rush in and swell up your entire your entire ankle if it was turned. Instead, we want it to just swell the areas that were affected. So you could have too aggressive of an innate immune response. And we've also seen this with cytokine storms recently. That's another version of over-aggressiveness. We can also have too little of a response. Like let's say there is an infection that's happening. We want the white blood cells to rush in, but maybe they don't. Maybe they're kind of you know, out on their lunch break and not responding. And then you can get wounds that don't heal for a really long time. The next thing is in people with really compromised immune systems and definitely elderly individuals. So people like usually over 65, we see reduced creation of antibodies. And so part of that is the innate immune systems not talking to the adaptive immune system. And so we can have a poor communication misfire. And then on the adaptive side, we can make antibodies to our own tissues, like our thyroids, you know, and that's, that's a misfire where we're being too aggressive on the adaptive side. Um, and then the other is too passive on the adaptive side, which is where we're making not enough antibodies when there is like, you know, something out there like a flu or something like that. It makes sense. And other, obviously a misfire in either of those directions is not a good thing, but it is telling us something that's going on within the body, which at least then seems helpful to start to correct that response. And I would guess this is some of the reason it's probably hard to generalize when it comes to immune support, because not only is it going two directions, but there's so much personalization that comes into play here as well. And um, I know from personal experience, I've gotten through Hashimoto's, which is an immune response to my own thyroid. You've gotten through some chronic conditions as well. So it is, there is hope and it is possible to rebalance these things. But is that why with, you know, vitamins and minerals and supplements marketed for immune health, you might not always get the effect you think you're going to get? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I kind of, as I was diving into the immune system over the last three years, in the beginning, I was like, wow, we just, I just need to take so much zinc and so much vitamin D and so much magnesium and vitamin C. And what I kind of came upon as far as an analogy is like, think of a plane and flying a plane from New York to San Francisco. You do need zinc. You do need magnesium. You do need selenium. You need all of these immune supplements, if you will, immune minerals and vitamins. They're like the, the engines and the seats and the hull of the plane. Like if you lose an engine in flight, you are going, you know, probably going down or, or something bad is happening. And so the same is true. If you don't have enough of the raw materials for the immune system, it can get out of balance, you know, too passive or too aggressive. And what we're looking to do is make sure that the pilots and the flight plan is balanced. And that's where you get balance in the immune system is you got to have the right flight plan and the right ability to correct when there's a windstorm or a thunderstorm or something like that. And so that's what we're looking for is uh, rather than just stockpiling more engines on a plane, you know, we need the right amount of, of engines, the right amount of wings, the right amount of seats, all that kind of stuff. That's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you can, you know, I think that's where people, even myself, I load up on all these supplements. I'm like, please, you know, get over this uh, cold really fast. And and sometimes it, it just doesn't happen as fast as you want. And it's because, you know, you don't have those stockpile nutrients. Other times it's because the nutrients are there, but there's no flight plan on how to use them. Uh, that makes sense. And also I would guess with some of these, at least, especially if we're talking about something like vitamin D, it is possible to go too far in the other direction and get too much of it. Less so with something like magnesium, which it seems like most people are pretty chronically deficient in, at least in the US. But I'm sure there are some caveats of being careful if you don't want to overload any of these things or have too much on your plane either. Right, exactly. You don't want four engines on one wing and two engines on the other. Like you, you do want to be careful when you 
uh, load up on these vitamins and minerals. Um, there can be damage if you're, you know, going too high, like you said, like if you're chronically supplementing with vitamin D, but you never get your levels tested, like that's a way that you could grow out of balance over a year or two. You know, if you've been listening to the show, you've learned about vitamin D for, you know, probably six years ago or longer. And if you've been supplementing this whole time, but you haven't checked, you're at risk, you know, that you do want to get some feedback about what's actually happening under the hood. Absolutely. And I'm always an encourager of get vitamin D from sunlight as much as possible as well, too, because then your body is able to regulate more specifically than if you're taking supplemental vitamin D, but definitely second your recommendation of if you are supplementing with vitamin D, get tested at least once a year and see where you're at. And also, I think when it comes to the conversation of immune health, people people often kind of isolate that and think of it in terms of whether they're getting sick or they're not, or maybe a little bit more autoimmune disease in within that realm. But I know from your research, and you can explain this much better than I could, the immune system is so intricately connected to essentially every part of our body in various ways. But maybe walk us through some of the ways it is connected to different parts of the body in ways that we don't just naturally always think of when we talk about immune health. Yeah, I like to think the the more I've thought and studied and tried to, you know, break down the immune system and its relationship to the gut or the brain or the lungs or whatnot, the more I actually begin to think about it as a communication channel. Like, I mean, sure, it's an organ and whatnot, but it's usually communicating from the gut or from the outside air or wherever there's been an input of data. And then it's communicating that out somewhere else. And so, for instance, um, like eczema and rosacea are typically thought of as skin conditions. Well, the reason why the symptoms are there are typically deeply related to an immune misfire that's happening on the regular basis due to loss of tolerance to something in your world, whether that's maybe gluten that you're eating, or maybe that's mold in your house, it's still a loss of tolerance to the outside world. And then the immune system kind of fires off um, these inflammatory pathways, and it could end up as, you know, eczema or rashes. We also see this in asthma. There's some really cool research around um, how basically, if you don't have enough, um, what are called like balancing cells or T- uh, T cells that balance. So T suppressor cells, these things kind of balance the two sides of your adaptive immune system, Th1 and Th2. And if you don't have enough of them, there can be like these violent swings. I think of it like a teeter totter. And if you don't have enough balance on that teeter totter, you know, you can get thrown around and it can be kind of painful on the playground. And the same thing can be true in your immune system. And then that could show up like an inflammatory condition in asthma. We see this also in osteoarthritis for the knees or, you know, elbows, joints, hands and fingers. Again, it's almost like, let's say you have a genetic weak link somewhere. You lost tolerance to your environment. You have a genetic weak link in your thyroid or your, your elbow or something. And then basically the gut is telling the immune system, we've lost tolerance. The immune system is saying we've lost tolerance and it happens to funnel over to your weak link, which in this case is, you know, your elbow or your knee or something like that. And then you experience this as like, oh, I have a bum knee or I have a rash. And so that's kind of why I think of it almost as a communication channel, because if you just try to target the immune system or you just try to target the pain point, either option typically doesn't allow you to win. Like if you're just applying topicals for eczema or rashes, you pretty much never win the game. You're always playing whack-a-mole and you don't ever win. If you do topical and immune and gut or something else that might be going on, or maybe you get out of the environment you can't tolerate like a moldy house, then you can actually win the game of getting rid of that thing for good. 
That makes sense. And it makes me think of, for instance, and when I had Hashimoto's, it's, it's common for people with Hashimoto's to sometimes swing between hypothyroid and hyperthyroid and like have a differing response, even though the condition is still Hashimoto's throughout. And that would seem to indicate maybe some of those immune system changes happening in either direction potentially. Yeah. If you look in the, in the literature, you know, on the TH2 side, it's typically thought of as autoimmunity. Basically, you're making too much TH2 cytokines and cells and things like that. TH1 is typically thought about as like hay fever or allergies to the environment. But as a clinician, if you talk to clinicians who are who are treating these types of folks, they always, not always, but a lot of the time they find a lot of overlap. Like it's very common for someone to have some sort of grass or hay allergy and have Hashimoto's or and have celiac. And so Typically, what I think is happening, at least part of the puzzle piece, is not having enough uh, regulator T cells that can kind of help balance it out. And there's always going to be a little bit of movement on the teeter-totter. It's not like, you know, life happens in waves, like literally seasons and waves, like this is how nature moves. What we want, though, is we want the ability to find homeostasis or balance again. It's when we get stuck or we change too hard, we flip-flop really hard, like that, that if you been on a teeter-totter as a child and someone smashes the other side and you hit your butt on the ground really hard, it does hurt. And so we want that ability to sort of land softly and not go too high. And that's where we need a lot of uh, T regulatory cells, T suppressor cells to sort of help that balance. And then that typically is also associated with a increase in the ability to tolerate the environment that you, you haven't been tolerating. Makes sense. And it makes me curious, how do we know this is not something I've heard of you know, common testing for those things. So as individuals, how do we know potentially like to go back to the plane analogy, if we have too much or too little of something on board? Unfortunately, the testing, in my opinion, is really lackluster at this moment. So there are a few panels from Cyrex Labs in Vibrant America. They have some like high intense, like 500 to $800 immune panels where you can actually check how many natural killer cells do I have? What kind of white blood cells and how many of them do I have? Do I enough? Do I have a, a regular amount of B cells and a regular amount of T cells? That kind of lab data is not available that I understand from any of the conventional labs. And your conventional doctor probably has never even heard of these types of tests being available. And so it's it's really frustrating because it's not it's much easier to even get a stool test or a food sensitivity test these days. This type of testing for your immune system to actually figure out which part of your immune system is underactive or overactive is, is really rare at the moment. And so I hope that it will spread with shows like this so that more clinicians run these tests and can help people understand their own bodies. And unfortunately, this seems like a common theme of, you know, inability to access adequate testing. And even within testing that is commonly available, of course, there's so much with the different types and the optimal ranges. And that could be a series of podcasts all in of its own. Uh, even basic things like magnesium are difficult to test for and actually get accurate ranges in the body. But then for those of us who don't have access to this kind of testing, it seems often clinicians will also look at symptoms and or other factors. So are there ways that we can get a picture of this based on how our body's feeling or other factors that we do have access to? Yeah, yeah. So 100%. Like you said, at this moment in time, symptom tracking and like sort of uh, making a list of symptoms and then zooming out maybe while you're listening to the show or, or maybe rewind and listen to this again is the next best way to kind of try to analyze what's happening. It's not perfect, but it can tell you a lot. So for instance, as I mentioned, the literature is really clear that too much TH1 is typically related to grass, hay, 
uh, dogs, cats, sort of like these sort of uh, environmental allergies. So if you have those, like if you know you've had those, you've done a skin prick test, or you literally just know that, hey, that plant over there, when it blooms, I feel like, you know, junk for a week, like that's a pretty good sign. Your TH1 is out of balance in regards to that environment. Now, if you have an autoimmune condition or you have markers of autoimmune antibodies from a different test, then that shows you that your TH2 is, is being hypervigilant. It's too high. And so that's a great marker to tell you that your TH2 system is a little out of balance. If you're someone who's running an HSCRP or a SED rate or something like that, that's a measure of generalized inflammation, and it's typically running high, that's a sign that your innate immune system is running too hot. It's too, it's out of balance over there. You can also see that by just looking at someone and seeing like, wow, they have like a a, a puffy elbow that doesn't go down or swelling in a certain area. Um, like let's say you sprain your ankle, that swelling should subside over, over a week or two, unless it's extreme injury, but some people's lags for six, eight weeks, you know, and it just never really goes down. That's a, that's a good indication of like a little passivity on the innate side. So we can look in the mirror. We can kind of take stock of our body parts, we can look at our testing on both sides, and those are all indications of a misfire in a certain direction. Food sensitivities would be another one. Got it. And the other thing I'm really excited to chat with you about, because I know you've done a ton of research around, is probably a new term for a lot of people. And I've only researched it because of the show notes for this, but the idea of paraprobiotics and how they seem to be sort of adaptive to be able to help in both directions. But for people who have maybe never heard that word before, can you explain what that is and what makes them special? So paraprobiotics are, are this new thing out of Japan. About 20 years ago, they started doing research on them and they were really looking into what makes probiotics do different things in the body. And so paraprobiotics are like immature cells or baby probiotics that are killed before they become adults. And what this means is that their cell wall and the receptors are different. And that might not sound like much and that might go against like why you think probiotics help the body. But this research is becoming really, really clear and very exciting that those are like little pieces of information. They're like the little inputs. And then when they go into the gut, our gut and our immune system senses those paraprobiotics and it will cause these adaptive changes in the immune system, for instance, making more uh, T suppressor or uh, T helper cells. Got it. So are there different types of these? Are they more in general categories or like what has research identified so far with them? Yeah. So there's there's different types, almost just like there's different types of bacteria for probiotics. There's like bifidobacteria, there's lactobacillus bacteria, there's sporebiotics. These are all different types of bacteria. These various alive kinds, so in this case, um, like a lactose strain, some of them they've tested as a if they kill them earlier, that they do different things. And so in the, for instance, in the whole immune product, there's three different strains. One of them is a is, is an acidophilus, a lactobacillus acidophilus, which a lot of people may have taken in one of their probiotics when it was alive to try to help their microbiome or try to help their their you know IBS or something like this. The the acidophilus in this product is like I said, a smaller version, immature version that's been heat killed. There's also some strains that are like close to what you'd see in um, like a kimchi or kefir. And so it the the adult version does different things and the immature version does uh, different things as well. I will say that in general, the 
paraprobiotics that you want to take are ones that have a strain at the end of them. So they'll say like a bunch of, you know, names, and then there'll be like a, probably some numbers like, you know, 1517 or LP20 or something like that. That's a really good indication that the person who made that has done the clinical trials needed to prove that this thing actually does something in humans. And so if you are going to go into the paraprobiotic market, it's still very early. There's not that many options out there, but I believe as it grows, there could be some knockoffs and you'll always want to try to find a paraprobiotic that has the strain listed and you can find studies on that strain. Got it. That's a helpful tip. So you said these are basically like immature probiotics. So they basically are carrying information and interacting with the body differently. Is that what makes them uniquely supportive of the immune system or what's happening in that process? Correct. Yeah. So because they're because they're dead, they're not going to like repopulate. They're not going to give off any sort of signaling molecules. They're not going to do any of the stuff that that like uh, alive probiotics would do. Instead, what they're doing is they're like taking your immune system back into rehab, like you're like in the gym, not like a, a different type of rehab. But you're going back into the gym and it's basically saying like, here, here's a here's a dose of something that you haven't had in a while. And, you know, do these squats to, you know, help build up your legs because you haven't been, um, you know, walking in a while or whatever. And so in a way, paraprobiotics are are little sort of like jolts for the immune system to say, oh, there's something new in the environment. And this is causing an adaptogenic change to the environment. And then that propagates through the communication channels out to various areas. So it could go out to one of the studies in in the one that's in holoimmune is on periodontal pockets going from like a depth of four up to a depth of two. There's other studies on eczema. There's other studies on hay fever. And so it kind of flows out through the communication channels. And if you do have weak links in some of these areas, it can help tame those symptoms. Gotcha. So for the like the gym analogy, this is essentially like a trainer that's helping correct your form or correct what's happening in the immune system to sort of have it learn and adapt to what it needs to respond to and what it doesn't and having the appropriate response. Correct. Yeah, that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, it really is helping, you know, correct form, making sure that you're getting your reps in and showing up on a regular basis. Because what you just said is the most important thing of all, which is what we want to get back in relationship and intolerance to our environment. Got it. So it seemed like then these are probably because they have that sort of adaptive property, they can be almost universally helpful to the immune system, whether it's over-regulated in one direction or under, because it's helping retrain what the correct sort of baseline is. Yeah, they do seem to work that way, although each one tends to have its own mechanism of action. And so, in other words, um, they're not quite like herbs where herbs, uh, some herbs like uh, adrenal herbs or whatever, like holy basil or something like that they can be totally adaptogenic mushrooms as well these tend to be adaptogenic in that when somebody's low or high it will modify that certain area like if on the th1 side it tends to bring th1 into balance or it tends to bring th2 into balance whether it's high or low i don't know that it it, it can do anything completely across the whole immune system it seems to be very like a targeted adaptogen if you will that makes sense. So I know this is a new new kind of emerging technology, but what have the studies looked at as far as maybe, for instance, in like the autoimmune categories or in the more acute immune system response? So for instance, for autoimmune, what we would want to be doing is, again, balancing your TH1 and your TH2 levels. We'd want to have more T helper or T suppressor cells. And so for instance, one of the, the strains in the product is called LP20. And LP20 has been shown to basically boost 
the T helper cells up and uh, lower something called INF beta. So uh, that's like a cytokine or signaling inflammation molecule. So the L92 seems to um, support natural killer cells and less production of Th2. So then that ends up supporting Th1 because there's less of a compensation pattern. So there's not been a direct study on autoimmunity yet. They've been studying more things like, well, I guess eczema, if you consider eczema an autoimmune condition, there are studies on the L92 in eczema for kids as well as adults showing improvement in their uh, in their scores, the, the eczema scores over eight to 12 weeks of continual usage. So there are that most of the studies so far have been have been going after what's called like lost work days, which is where they do these studies either on college kids where they split 100 college kids are taking final exams, 50 of them get the paraprobiotics, 50 of them get a placebo, and they find out who gets sick and who makes it through all their tests. And the kids who get the paraprobiotic usually do better as far as not reporting getting sick or losing any any days. And then they do that in the workplace. They say, how many days did someone call in sick for the year um, or for a time period? It's usually 12 weeks uh, for most of these paraprobiotics. And the people who take the paraprobiotics report less lost work days in that in that regards. Um, they've also been studied on influenza in mice, as well as a few trials in humans to show usually um, a little bit faster recovery time. Got it. So the research is indicating that potentially these could be used acutely when there's an actual illness, as well as for like longer term balancing of the immune system as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that it's, it would be um, I would be leading you astray to say that you could like have this in your medicine cabinet and just pull it out like a Tylenol whenever you you feel like you're getting sick. That's really not the mechanism of action behind these these bugs. They're what they're trying to do is is the whole rehab trainer thing. We're trying to get you stronger and in better shape and better form the next time you encounter whatever it is out there, whether it's an incoming bug or that hay fever or a dog or a cat or, or some sort of food that you normally can't tolerate. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And you've used the word cytokines a couple of times and you mentioned cytokine storms. I think that term has become much more mainstream known in the last couple of years, but for anybody who maybe has only heard that word and doesn't fully understand it, or maybe hasn't even heard that term yet, can you explain what that is and maybe how these come into play? Yeah. So cytokines are a giant group of signaling molecules in the immune system. They signal all kinds of things. There's, there's many of them. I actually don't even know how many there are they probably are still finding them at this moment. And so they're, they're signaling molecules. So they kind of say like, Hey, go down this pathway and create more inflammation over here, or go down this pathway and, and, you know, send it over to your foot or whatever it might be. And so we need cytokines. Cytokines are not bad, but we need them in proportion to whatever's happening. And so what we've seen is that out of balance immune systems in relation to something like a virus or potentially some other entity that's being injected, you can have a overcompensation. Your body is like, holy cow, there's an invasion going on. And rather than, like I said, responding with a feather, it responds with a bunch of hammers. And a cytokine storm is basically way too much inflammation going down all the pathways at once, and it can lead to death in some individuals. And so the what we're hoping to have happen for a healthy human is just enough cytokines to let everybody know there's an invasion happening, you know, dust off your, your hard hats and your boots, get ready. We got to go to work. Um, but if it's persistent and ongoing, it doesn't get shut off. That's where you end up with these, you know, really sad stories in the news. 
Got it. Yeah. The analogy, I think I used to explain them to my kids is one of my sons plays tennis and tennis requires a specific amount of, you know, pressure when you're hitting the ball. And for whatever reason, my brain goes into like survival mode when I see a tennis ball coming and I like swing with everything I have and the ball never stays in the tennis court. And so I'm like me playing tennis is kind of like a cytokine storm where I'm way overreacting to the thing that's actually coming at me, um, which they, I think that helped them understand it. This episode is brought to you by Extrema Pure Ceramic Cookware, which is the original non-toxic cookware on the market. It's a lifestyle investment for your kitchen, for your body, and for the earth because people have been cooking with clay pots for over 10,000 years. Extrema spent years perfecting the proprietary clay blend that balances the beauty of pottery, the durability of porcelain, and the temperature benefits of stoneware. Because healthy meals don't just start with fresh, nutrient-dense produce, though that's important too. They also require safe pots, pans, skillets, and baking sheets that aren't leaching things into our food. I have many of their cookware pieces in my kitchen for this reason. All of their cookware is pure ceramic and handcrafted by this family-run company. I love that they are durable and can go from stove to oven to dishwasher, and I can even use tough cleaners and scrubbers to clean them. They have a new signature skillet line that has shallow side walls and a smooth 100% pure ceramic cooking surface for ultimate strength and durability. They let you sear, saute, fry and sizzle from your stovetop or even your barbecue grill. And these timeless additions to your kitchen will become your go-to for everyday cooking. There's no toxins, no metals, no maintenance and worry-free cooking every day. Use the code wellness to save 15% off your entire purchase by going to extrema.com. That's X-T-E-R-E-M-A.com to make sure to use the code wellness to save 15%. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, the company that first introduced me to functional and medicinal mushrooms and whose products I have been using for almost a decade. Mushrooms are absolutely fascinating being genetically closer to humans than they are to plants. The largest organism in the world is a mushroom and mushroom networks allow trees and plants to talk to each other using something called mycorrhizal networks. Many types of mushrooms are also well studied for their benefits to humans and widely used in many ancient medicinal traditions and cultures. Researchers found that mushrooms have high amounts of ergothionine and glutathione, which are both important antioxidants that help fight age-related decline. I personally love eating culinary mushrooms any chance I get, but sometimes it can be hard to work those into my everyday diet every single day. And specific mushrooms have additional more targeted benefits, and that's why I love Four Sigmatic. They have a wide variety of beverages that incorporate these amazing superfood mushrooms and that taste amazing. On a typical day, I'll drink a cup of their mushroom-infused coffee or matcha with ingredients like lion's mane for focus or cordyceps to support overall health. I also love winding down with a cup of their Reishi Elixir, which helps me fall asleep and get more restorative deep sleep. I love their packets on the go because they're easy to throw in my purse or in my bag when I travel, and I'll often just order a cup of hot water on the go and make some lion's mane coffee on the plane. I also love mixing a packet of their coffee or matcha into a protein drink on the go for a protein-packed iced latte option. And speaking of protein, they have the only plant-based protein I like with seven functional mushrooms plus adaptogens, and the flavor is great, especially I love their peanut butter flavor. You can check out these and all of their products at foursigmatic.com slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to get a discount. So again, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama. What are the gut specific implications of paraprobiotics? And it makes sense that they're like an adaptive long-term thing. Do we see adaptive gut changes over the long-term as well? So far, this is the first product on the market that's ever combined three of them together. 
So the product contains three of them with beta glucan. So beta glucans have been around for a long time. It is used for immune support across um, both persistent long-term immune issues as well as acutely. Uh, we know that it kind of retrains your secretory IgA, which is like your, your big defense mechanism in your gut and kind of makes it more fit or more able to respond. With this product, because there's three of them, we can't say that it's been quote unquote study, but what we're seeing is that since 80%, approximately 70 to 80% of your gut cells are right around, or your immune system right around the gut, it tends to be interacting, I believe, with these, these changes are happening in and around the gut. And what we see, at least in our customer reviews and in the calls and, and emails we get, is that people who have, say, food sensitivities, and they've, they've done elimination diets, they maybe they take enzymes or they're on a probiotic or something, but they just can't quite introduce everything they want. Maybe they just can't quite get broccoli back into their diet or garlic or other some other FODMAP. These seem to allow the immune system to relax enough to allow a lot of the other foods in. We also see benefit with people who have a lot of histamine-related gut issues. So, you know, some people can't do red wine or high histamine-related food like leftovers. And so for these folks, after they've done a low histamine diet and after they've done some healing about whatever was causing their histamine issues, they oftentimes have a hard time reintroducing regular foods like red wine back into their diet. And this product seems to help them again find that tolerance. So the whole like trainer idea for your gut immune system, I think is really on on point with this. Got it. And so can you explain a little bit more about the three strains specifically that you chose and why you chose them? Because like you said, this is the first one that has those three, the only one I've tried and I definitely noticed a result. So I'm curious, like what are the three and what specifically are they studied for so far? Yeah. So the, 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 like, I would say the all-star is called Amuse and Amuse is a lactus strain. And what the cool thing about Amuse is, is that it is truly adaptogenic on both the adaptive and the innate side, because it in, in studies, it's been shown to, to boost something called plasma cytoid dendritic cells. And these are these crazy new cells that I think people are learning about that are what they're calling the leaders of the immune system. They're almost like the, the marionette hand where they can sort of sense in based on what's happening in the body and they can upregulate natural killer cell production. They can downregulate it. They can boost stuff on the T helper cell side again. So there, there's these really cool, like PDCs are these really cool things. They can get wonky in autoimmune conditions. So if you Google it, you will see some like kind of inflammatory articles out there. That has not been the case with Amuse. It's been studied up to 5X the dosage that's in the in the bottle and there, there was no adverse events. So what Amuse has been studied for is it's specifically studied for like all year, uh, year round wellness. It's been studied and shown to boost athletic performance, improve skin dryness and the lost workday um, thing I was talking about earlier. The next one is something called LP20. And LP20 helps improve TH1 to TH2. And this is the one that they did human clinical studies on periodontal disease pockets, which is kind of crazy, right? You're basically taking a capsule with a dead a bug in it, and it's changing your gums. And that's that's really cool. And really, it's just kind of mind-blowing when, when people are like, well, don't doesn't it have to be in my toothpaste or doesn't it have to be in my mouthwash to change what's happening you know, inside my gums? And the answer is no, which is really cool and, and really interesting, I think, for the future of, you know, oral health and things like that. 
Uh, the third one is Lactobacillus L92. This is the oldest one, the one that's been around uh, the longest and the one that's been studied on eczema and again, hay fever. So this one, I think they got it out of kefir like many, many years ago. And then they've been playing with it since then. And this one helps uh, balance TH1, TH2 as well. Uh, but the, the best studies are the ones on the kids for eczema and the adults for eczema. And again, it does. it's not a treatment for eczema. It doesn't like totally fix any of this stuff. It just helps um, move them down the scale, helps them with their rashes and the dryness. Yeah, I find the oral health side so fascinating. Only for me personally, that's been a really just pet research topic for over a decade. And first kind of delving into the idea of tooth decay being more of an internal problem than just what's sitting on our teeth while we sleep, but then really getting into the world of understanding how so much of the immune system begins and lives in the mouth. And we know the gut part, but that it really also stems from the mouth side as well. And so I find that really fascinating that they did studies specific to that and notice the change, which I think hopefully we'll continue to see more and more research about that I think a lot of dentists still take the kind of band-aid approach or just look at topically, just like we do with eczema, like, oh, we'll just put something on the skin. But no, it turns out the internal is even more important. And with the mouth, one example I give, you know, is that's why people with certain heart conditions, they will give them antibiotics when they have dental work because the oral health is so connected to the whole body that can actually be an immune event for them. But when we understand that, it shifts how we think of oral health. And also I hope is an encouragement for people not to use overly harsh antiseptic mouthwashes that are killing the oral microbiome and the big of the immune system in the mouth as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the analogy of the airplane kind of works for the mouth as well, right? Like if you don't have enough minerals, you're 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 really not going to have great tooth health. But you also have to have that immune signaling to handle what's happening in the mouth on a regular basis as well, because it's part of the digestive tract. There's a lot of exchange of information and an environment in there. So it sounds like there's a lot of use cases for this. It, who is this like most recommended for? for people to take holoimmune? And also, are there any contraindications or times when people would not want to take it? So I would say the the best raving like reviews we've gotten so far are folks with uh, rashes and uh, skin-related breakouts, things like that, that they've already tried or they, they do have like a good routine. They, they're trying their, with a good diet, things like that, and they still haven't quite figured it out. So those folks seem to report a lot of success. Uh, people with, with neuroinflammation seem to be helped. You know, there's a lot of growing data that suggests uh, part of what happens in a inflamed brain starts in the gut and then travels up the vagus nerve into the brain. And so, for instance, Shay, uh, my fiance, loves holoimmune because she takes two a day and she can like beat her word game. You know, she plays those word games. She's like twice as fast at the word games. And so she she thinks that, you know, or she knows that it helps her brain. I unfortunately was hoping to get that benefit, but I don't, I don't seem to have that immune dysregulation. I guess that's probably a good thing. So, but there is a growing group, typically women over 40 who uh, get a lot of help from taking it in the in the neural area. And then the last part is those folks with the food sensitivities. And some of them are histamine related, some of them are not, but they just struggle with food sensitivities and trying to get their diet back to what I would call like a resilient diet where you really have choice. Like, do you want to have a little, you know, do you want to get a little sloppy on vacation and, and have a few, you know, seed oils or something prepackaged because you're out on a date or something like that. And so trying to get that last bit of tolerance back for folks who struggled maybe on the autoimmune side or the IBS side or whatever it is, uh, it does seem to kind of give them that last hope of, or that last piece of freedom back. 
Yeah, I think that's a key and something I learned the hard way sort of through my own health journey as well is like, it's one thing to be healthy when you're in a narrow range of inputs and to like super control every one of those inputs. But to me, like the full expression of health is much more the adaptability of being able to handle whatever inputs come at you and still choose the best ones most of the time, but have the freedom to deviate sometimes for reasons that you would want to and not have negative effects. And so I love that this seems to very much dovetail with that in supporting the body as a whole. Are there any other things people can do complementary to this that help make the immune system smarter and not just stronger, like whether it become from a food perspective or a nutrient perspective or a lifestyle perspective? Yeah. I mean, so from a, from a lifestyle perspective, this is like where I get to stand on my little soapbox for a minute and say, get your hands dirty and don't wash them. You know, you don't have to wash everything. You don't have to use um, anti-biotic uh, soap on everything and walk around with your hand sanitizer. I know it's a scary world out there from bugs and all kinds of things. But in general, the like you said, the more we put ourselves in a in a small contained glass box, the more we're stuck there. And what I'm saying is literally the 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 loss of being in the environment. You know, touching the ground, touching your mouth you know, getting the microbes from dirt or your pets or something else in and around your face is part of this loss of tolerance. Now, I'm not saying stick your hand in poop and, you know, put it in your mouth. I'm not saying like, don't be dumb about this, but I am saying that we are, we are overwashing and we're not, we're not gardening enough. We're not going out for walks and looking at flowers or leaves and then just going about our life without washing our hands. So first one is get outside, get into nature, smell the smells of nature. All of that is input. That's all data as well. All the the leaves decaying, the leaves budding in the, in the spring, that's all helpful to your immune system. Yeah, there's cool studies in Japan where basically they have like really stressed out, anxious, and sometimes hypertensive people, and they literally prescribe them forest bathing. And what they believe is that certain trees give off pheromones, just like humans attract each other with pheromones. So these like crazy scents that we can't really register, but just by breathing them in for 30 minutes a day, or 30 minutes a week, you can start to downregulate high blood pressure and some other things. So get outside, you know, don't wash your hands all the time. And then the other thing would be uh, just eating a diverse diet. So if you do, if you can get fermented foods in your diet, like kimchi or sauerkraut, um, these, this is also data. This is, this is helpful for tolerance of your immune system. It's helpful for generating the right appropriate response to kind of a a wild type of food. I mean, in a way it is, it's, it's sort of an uncontrolled fermentation and some days it's more fermented than other days. And so that's actually really good. That, that, that's training your immune system and helping with tolerance as well. I love that advice. And I often recommend on here, the practice of just as soon as you wake up in the morning, as soon as possible, going outside and getting sunlight, ideally in nature for a lot of those same reasons. And also we know the implications now of that helping your circadian clock and starting the clock for bedtime and melatonin production. But I love that you mentioned just get dirty and don't be afraid of it, especially for the moms listening. I think this is really key for kids' immune systems developing well as well. And I think of, um, I once read about Arnold Schwarzenegger swore that one of the keys to his immune health was that he would go to the gym and work out, touch the equipment that so many other people had touched and then not wash his hands and go eat lunch. And that sounds probably crazy to a lot of people (laughs) listening, but he, that was a practice he did, but maybe less extreme. The ones you mentioned, just getting out in the garden, especially like my garden, I know where the soil came from and I know it's from mushroom compost and there's all these beneficial bacteria that live within the soil. 
there's no need to go sanitize your hands before you eat or sanitize the food that you just grew. Rinse it off, get the actual dirt off, but you don't have to go to the extreme measure. Um, I would guess this is also the reason we see in the data that having pets that kind of go in and outdoors is actually has a beneficial immune component for people. And I, I've had actual doctors recommend if you have kids, have a pet in the house because you're getting more immune inputs. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of data um, on kids that grew up on farms and kids that grew up in cities and the kids that grow up on the farms with other animals. Um, they end up having more resilient immune systems. They have less food sensitivities, less autoimmunity. So yeah, all those different inputs are are, are super important. Well, I love that. Um, and as we get close to the end of our time, I'll of course make sure that I put links to more research about all this. People can continue learning it as well as to the hollow immune product for people who want to see the results themselves. But a couple other questions I love to ask for the end of interviews. The first being if there are any book or books that have had a profound impact on your life and if so, what they are and why. Uh, I think the book that comes to mind right now is A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, and just, I've read it, I mean, probably every other year for at least 15 years now. And I think it helps me kind of remember that while I have lots of problems and lots of scary things happening for my life, it's really not a total problem usually. It's just kind of a challenge or it's an annoyance or a disturbance. And so I think that book really helps me also realize I think something else about immunity, which is, you know, in that book, the people who were sort of present and had something to live for a reason why they were doing what they were doing, they tended to survive. And the people who needed them to be liberated by a certain day or get out of there or have the conditions be a certain way for them to live, they typically died, even though they were healthy and like, like physically healthy. And I think that's also something that um, can happen both in, in life and immune health and helpful for me. I'm a big fan of that book as well. I'll link to it as well in the show notes for all of you listening. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it as well. And any parting advice for the listeners today that could be related to immune health and everything we've talked about or entirely unrelated? Yeah, I mean, I will say the last the last thing on immune health is sleep and melatonin is super, super important. And, and the research on vitamin C and vitamin D is like really legit. So, you know, I do have a section of my house that has like the, you know, the oh, oh crap moment of like, oh no, I'm, I got that feeling in the back of my throat or, or that sniffle. And so um, there is some really, really good data on vitamin C usage as well as melatonin uses, usage actually for the immune system for modulating it. And this is probably also the reason why a, a, like a really common recipe for getting sick is like get really poor sleep for, I don't know, a week or two, and then have something stressful happen, like a bad day with, you know, at school with the kids or something else, and then boom, you're sick. And so melatonin is super important for the immune system. And so is vitamin C. So I do think, you know, having those around and and knowing how to to, to dose those for yourself and for your kids is, is a really uh, good idea to, to have as well. Yeah, great point. And makes me also loop back to that recommendation of get early morning sunlight outside whenever possible. And also the reason I have things like blackout curtains in my room and optimize sleep temperature and all of these things we can tweak with very little effort that improve sleep quality. Um, I think that's been a constant in the research for the past few decades. We know without a doubt that sleep and stress play a huge role in every aspect of health, yet they seem to be still an elusive 
thing to optimize for many of us. So I think anytime we can improve those a little bit, it goes a long way. And then to be able to add on things like hollow immune and things that we're now studying and seeing can also further benefit. It's always to me a both and improve the foundational and do these other things. But at the end of the day, we can't out supplement or out diet a lack of sleep or a lack of dealing with stress. So such an important reminder. And it's always such a joy, Steve, to get to chat with you. I hope we get to do it again soon. And I think we're going to talk about magnesium pretty soon. So you guys can keep an eye out for that one. But for today, thank you so much for your time. It's always such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for having me on. And thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.